Hello and we're back for episode 5 of the Witcher Silk Mill podcast and this time we'll be talking all things ribbons. Shannon, our weaver tackler, will be joining us again to explain how ribbons are made here at the mill and we have not one but two special guests to share the ribbon love later in this episode. One of our guests, Robert Ely, weaves ribbons using jacquard looms based in his studio in Dartmouth and Joe Willis is a milliner specialising in period millinery for film, television and theatre. So, Shannon, over to you first. Uh, Why ribbons? Well, uh, ribbons is actually one of the first things I did when I first got to the mill. Um, We had already received the order before I'd got here for 200 metres of ribbons um, for a costumier. So she then sells off to lots of different people who then take it off to theatre productions and TV shows. So I was quite excited because I'd heard of all the different fantastic places these ribbons ended up. Um... They're quite a complicated piece because we weave 14 of them in the row. We don't weave individual ribbons. They go together, so it's easier. So the whole length of it works out about 36 inches um, across. So there's 14 of them sat in one row, different shapes and sizes. I say shapes. Different sizes. Can't really be different shapes. (laughs) But yes, so um, that was quite exciting for me. Um, is the idea of being able to weave this that might end up going off to some film production and I might be able to see it in there and be like, oh my goodness, I wove those ribbons. <laughs> so when I was given um, the responsibility of um, weaving these ribbons and threading them, well, I twisted them on um, and uh, then I was inspecting them and sending them off. I was really excited. <laughs> Amazing. That sounds so cool. <laughs> and when we're talking ribbons, um, we mean things that go on bonnets, don't we? In films yes, and yeah. so, um, dresses and that kind mm, of stuff. So if you think of period drama, this is a lot of where most of these will end up going, um, where ladies would spruce up a, new, a, a, a previous dress with um, ribbons and they would change the outfit. Uh, or they would go down to the market, so I'm going to get some ribbons. Oh. Um, yeah, <laughs> these are those ribbons. Um, so ones, yeah, like you say, that... Um, garnish a, a bonnet or um, you know tie around a dress or en- embellish something um, so they really just kind of spark something to life mm-hmm. um, so yeah these beautiful colours then end up on, on all sorts of different things so sort of statement pieces really yeah yeah I think it can change an outfit um, especially with that particular period of which they'll be worked on so when mm-hmm. um, you know period drama type stuff that you know that's what they used to use to spruce up their outfit and give it give it a spark of life amazing and how is weaving ribbons different to weaving regular fabric so it's one of this the most complicated warp that we do mm-hmm. um it was I think the last time it was done before I did it was about 30 years ago oh, wow <laughs> so our senior weaver was there when they would did them um and uh one of our tacklers who comes in and consults for us now, he used to be the production manager um, when those ribbons were done. So they came in to help and try and put it back together and scratch their heads to try and remember how they did it because mm-hmm. it's quite a complicated piece. Right. As if you imagine we're doing 14 ribbons, in between each ribbon there's got to be a small gap for them to cut to become individual. And each, in, each ribbon is different, isn't it? It's completely it's different. different, yeah. yeah. So we have, they've got stripes on them, some of them don't, um, and these stripes have got satins, so it's a different type of woven silk. Okay. It's got a bit more of a shine to it, it sits on the surface a bit more. Lovely. So this sits on the top of the uh, base, so they've got two warps on there. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so, you know, just to complicate it a bit more. So you've got what we call the ground warp, which is the base of the ribbon. 
And then we've got um, the satin stripes, um, which sit on top of the ribbon, and that's because they, the type of structure, they kind of sit like that. They're all woven in together, but it's just the way they sit because of the structure. Mm-hmm. So that gives a nice shiny stripe along the top, and it can be all sorts of different colours in them. Um, so from there, we technically have a third um, warp. This one's a lot smaller, and this is what the linos are. So I was saying about um, having to have individual gaps. If you add that across there and you cut them off, if you cut in between them gaps, there's nothing to hold that woven fabric together. It will just fray out. Mm-hmm. So in order to make it stay, you have to make a mini tiny, teeny salvage. If you know if you buy um, a, a reel of fabric, I don't know if... I suppose it used to be a, a lot more popular thing to people buy a load of fabric and make their own stuff. But um, along the edge, there's a harder edge that's um, a bit thicker or, and it twists in and it kind of it makes it stop from fraying along the edges. Mm-hmm. So in these ribbons, in between individual ones, there's two uh, an extra end there. Um, so it's only a really teeny small thing that twists on the last two edges. It's very complicated how it works. Um, in a way, basic once you've watched it, but it's very clever and complicated the thread (laughs) so and that kind of twists around this one thread that's um on this third warp and that holds that edge in we don't cut them into the ribbons we just roll them into fabric and then they go off to our customer Um, they then cut them into the ribbons but once they cut into those little gaps um the ribbons are off and they're ribbons and they're no longer got they're no longer going to fray because you've got this clever little end in there that twists around the ends to stop it from fraying, which is what allows us to weave 14 in a row. Mm-hmm. I mean, you'll have ones that are literally an inch wide that are just like meant to be pretty frilly things, or you've got great big ones that are like four inches wide that are big sashes. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it completely depends on um, what you want in them. We can do different widths, but those linos are very crucial. Wow. So you're saying there's 14 different types of ribbon. Mm-hmm. So do you therefore have to change the weave structure every single ribbon or is it the same kind of structure or because they all look very different don't they so yeah. how do you make them look um, different so it's all about when we're warping it mm-hmm. um oh it goes back to the designing mm. so when the customers come in uh she's actually been with us a while so she'd ordered the ribbons she was one of the ones that ordered the ribbons for uh, uh, 30 years ago oh so she's already, yeah <laughs> so she's already got an idea of what it is that she likes um and also we've got an archive of all the different variations of ribbons we did so some ribbons that say like the four inch wide ones might have um six of those little teeny tiny quarter inch stripes or for metric terms i suppose about a half a centimeter or or so Mm -hmm. (laughs) stripes are going across in different colors um, and then you could have one two-inch one that's only got two of them in, but they're wider. They might be an inch wide. So it's um, a variety, and the mill's done lots of different ones, and mm-hmm. it's all about how you warp it up. Okay. So you've, before you get down to the loom, it's about the designing and how you want it. Um, but because we've got an archive of all these pretty ribbons in different variations, and she kind of knows what she wants as well because she's had them from us multiple times before, and we then work with her, then she'll pick lots of different things. Um, so she'll pick the colours she wants she'll say oh I want these ones and she'll point out one um, that she's had before mm-hmm. um, and then we'll work those ribbons out in a row and from there we can create the warp in, in the right widths mm-hmm. and then it can be like the process before it'll be taken downstairs put in thread up in the correct order 
And then woven. Woven. A bit more complicated with that one, though, because when you put it through the reed, you've got to remember in between each ribbon, you've got to leave a gap um, about, like, a couple of... a quarter of an inch um, in between each one. Mm Mm-hmm. So, um, so that they can be cut between them. So, mm-hmm. you know, that comb again, you've got to leave that gap. So you've got to count where you're up to and then go, okay, right, you need to leave a gap here. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, wow. A nice one, we leave on the loom so that next time we do a walk, we can twist it on opposed to have to remember all those gaps. Wow, okay. Um, it does sound really complicated. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you do produce something absolutely beautiful at mm. the end. Um, so just quickly to finish... Um, do you know where the ribbons have gone? So what kind of films have they been in? Do you know which ones? Um, yeah, there's been all sorts of things. Obviously, the ones I've recently woven haven't appeared anything yet. We just have to keep an eye out. Okay. <laughs> I'll be ready. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, there's been all stuff. I've, we've seen them in pole dark. We don't get told where they go. Mm-hmm. So we rely on people who know our ribbons to point them out. Mount. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, one of my favourites was Back to the Future Part 3. Yeah. Um, in Clara's hat. Because you just don't expect it to be there. Back to the Future Part 3, you think... No, it's not going to have period ribbons in it, but obviously it's Wild West based, isn't it? So Clara's hat, it's got ribbons that were woven at the mill, and I'm like, oh my goodness, and I'm weaving these kind of ribbons now. So it's my little claim to fame is that, you know, I'm working at the same place that those ribbons were made. Mm. But um, yeah, it's been an all stuff. Um, and I was at New T- BBC Drama recently. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what it's... Oh, um, what is it? Gentleman Jack. Oh, yeah. There was some in those. Um, I mean, there was fabric that was woven a bit like that that was then wrapped around the hat on Rose, Rose's hat when she goes on to the Titanic and mm-hmm. lots of things like that um, there's loads of little treasures in that and um, these ribbons get everywhere so I'm excited to see where the ones that I've woven end up amazing great so lots of famous faces and famous people mm. have worn our ribbons which yeah. is something quite special isn't it <laughs> uh, great okay well thank you so much for that um, and now we are going to be welcoming Robert Ely to have a chat with us about his work and incidentally um, Robert did a short internship with us back at the mill in 1995 so it's lovely to have him back and talking to us um, so Robert can you tell us a little bit about your story and how you got into weaving and have your own studio down in Devon um, I initially went to college in um, Farnham, so not that far away from where you are, West Surrey College of Art and Design, as it was then. Um, I was born in London, so actually, I, when I initially set up, it wasn't in Devon, it was London to start with. Um, so I'd done hand weaving at Farnham, and I'd, it was a very hands-on course, so you do all your own dyeing, all your own threading, or you know, all the sort of bits of weave. Um, I left uh, college and needed a job, so I went to work in Liberty in Regent Street um, in the tie department. Um, and it was at the time, so this would be late 80s, early 90s, when ties had been predominantly printed, had been printed patterns and went into wovens from then. And, and we always had the discussion that as a weaver, I had to point out that all ties were woven. Um, but the pattern was either printed or woven and, and yeah nobody quite understood why I wanted to make the distinction but as a weaver that was important anyway so we had quite a lot of um, jacquard type silks coming through so it's quite an interesting time to be looking at weave I stayed there six or seven years during my time at Farnham we'd been on industrial visits one of which um, was actually to yourselves um, yeah, so again this would have been mid 80s I guess um, but we also went up to um, Beresford's um, I can't remember, Lancashire way I think who did ribbons and um, clothing labels 
and they had what I consider to be really interesting looms, having woven on hand looms, um, big wooden things. Um, the they they had jacquards which both didn't have shuttles, um, and were jacquards. So they were doing quite fancy things, but in polyesters. And and I just thought they're a really interesting piece of equipment, and that kind of gets stored away in your mind um, for later. Uh, college um, computerization of hand looms was just coming in so um, the, the, these were still looms that you you weave by hand but um, you could programming them using a, a, a removable chip rather than um, pegs or bits of wood or whatever um, so having left college done a bit of work and wanted to get 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 back to weaving I started looking at these machines that I'd seen years ago um, and how I might use that uh, and, and so on. Got back to Beresford's and the production manager there was very helpful. Um, oddly, I mean, I'm talking about this being last century now and that the internet wasn't what it is now. So researching things actually meant going to the library and looking up trade directories and making phone calls and all those kinds of things that we kind of got out of the habit of doing. But um, it turned out that the technology was um, an English technology. So again, only in the early 80s was, was computerization of jacquards. So that rather than having punch cards driving a jacquard machine, you actually had a, a chip or a disc or whatever. Um, which speeded up the time between designing things and weaving them. So um, an English technology had been sold to the Belgians, Swiss and Germans. Belgians doing carpet weaving, Swiss and Germans narrow fabric weaving. Um, and I eventually landed on a German company that seemed to make a loom of the kind that I was looking for. Um, they agreed to do some sampling. Um, again, software was in its relative infancy, but there was a company in Ilkley in Yorkshire who was still there, APSO, um, who I went to see and started working with them. They were able to program a design for me, which I then went to Germany with. They then um, did a little bit of sampling. A lot taken on trust, really, because these are looms that are designed for high-speed weaving of clothing labels. They're not designed for weaving silk. Um, so, I mean, it's it's almost the polar opposite of what you're doing there in that, you know, your looms weave silk. You know, there's no there's no question of that. Whereas with this, there was a bit of a question. And I, th I think with any um, startup, it's very difficult looking back to say, what was the point of no return? When do you de decide that this is actually what you're doing? Um, at some point, I had to commit to buying a loom because there wasn't one I could actually try. And that's, I guess, where the real work starts in that actually finding premises in London. I mean, as, as you know, looms are big things and they're heavy things and you can't just put them in your back bedroom. And um, so finding premises wasn't easy and finding the money wasn't easy because, again, looms are expensive things. I mean, I think looking back, there were quite a lot of pragmatic decisions in terms of a narrow fabric loom is cheaper than a broadcloth loom, just because there's less machinery there. Um, and as one person setting up to weave, it seemed like it, it was doable for one person. Um, and I suppose leaving college, I'd wanted to be able to produce enough quantity that you know, it, it was viable to be a weaver. 
um, which I, I mean, is a question I'm sure you face there and every weaver in the country does, is if I want to weave, how can I produce enough stuff to sell to carry on being a weaver? And, and um, so, yeah, so eventually borrowed enough money from the bank, bought a loom, found some premises, which thankfully were just being converted so I could specify an even bigger door so that we could actually get the loom in um, and started weaving about that. Well, you know, going back about six months is actually when I came down to Whitchurch. Um, I can't remember how that came about and it, in, in terms of a, a, a conversation of, yes, this is what I'm looking at doing, would be interesting to come and see what you're doing, and then and ended up spending a week weaving, which was actually really useful. At the same time, I'd been contacting a company in Leicester, so coming back to sort of menswear from, from the Liberty days, who are the oldest braces manufacturer in the world um, to see if if I was going to weave a narrow fabric silk, would they be able to use it in their braces? Um, they said yes. And um, so the very first design I had was a design from them. And that was the first thing I started weaving um, back in 96. There is quite a lot of will this work? Um, and you know, thankfully it did. Um, moved to Devon came four years later um, and I've been here ever since. Oh wow that was really interesting that's fascinating um, and do you predominantly weave with silk or do you use other? Only, weave with, only weave with silk just yes. Just silk yeah. amazing. Um, okay. Again having just the one loom it's imperative for me to keep downtime to a minimum so changing warps um, or changing materials actually creates a big gap in weaving. Um, bizarre, well, not bizarrely, but looking at it the other way around, when I was, I don't have facilities to make warps in, in, in the way that you do at the mill, so I need to subcontract that out. And when, again, it's a bit of a perennial issue, but when I was trying to find places to do warping, there were lots of companies said, yeah, fine, we can do warping, but we're not having silk, not having silk in our factory because of the difference in static between man-made fibers and natural fibers they just didn't want the silk anywhere near their warping mills so that you know again we used to have a as you know a huge silk industry in this country most of that's gone and the 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 people who are willing to work with silk has also uh, dwindled but it's i mean there's also a an economic side to it which if you're producing using a cheaper fiber you're you need to produce a lot more to sell it for you know and, and I'm again I'm sure you have the same questions at, at Whitchurch yes you could be doing what you're doing in polyester but it would be a different product it would be a different price point and, and so on and where we are now actually we're saying we'd rather be weaving with natural fibers than than, than polyesters and, and oil-based fibers so it's maybe it's silks time has come in the same way that it has for wool and cotton and linen and hemp and, and all these other renewable sources. So would you say that um, from your experience of weaving with silk, is it quite tricky? Like, yes, full stop. <laughs> um, yes, it is. I, I, um, I hadn't realised quite how tricky it is. And it, uh, again, from looking back at college, I was weaving with wool and cotton, 
partly because silk was a lot more expensive. And so as a student, just buying in your yarn is an expensive business. And partly because you need more silk thread to weave with. You, you, weaving with wool, you just get more woven more quickly. So I, it wasn't a fibre I'd worked with, um, although I'd sold a lot of silk as, as made up fabrics. It's, um, it's dusty. Um, so a lot of the tensioning on my loom is via discs. So the thread passes through discs which have springs on them. Dust builds up because it comes off the silk. Um, it, it, you can't run the looms as fast. So although it's a, a, a power loom, it, it, I run it very slowly, um, uh, which with a nylon or a polyester, these looms would run three, four, five times the speed that I'm using them. Um, so yes, it has lots of issues with it which is why a lot of mills don't want to use it. Um, so, I mean, that creates a niche in a way um, because there aren't lots of people doing the same thing. Um, but at the same time, that has its disadvantages in terms of where you get supplies and where you find machines that are dedicated to, to what you want them to do. Yeah, that's, it's interesting you say that. I think I've heard similar comments from our weavers as well, working with, with silk, obviously predominantly mainly silk in our warps and, and wefts and things. We do occasionally switch it up, but it's mainly silk. But it is, yeah, all the same same sort of things. It is quite difficult to uh, to work with. You've got to have some, a magic touch, I think, to, well, to work I, with I, silk. Literally yesterday, talking to a customer in Sweden who's been trying to source silk ribbons and talking to lots of mills who have the capability to weave them, but don't want to weave as slowly as they would have to if they use silk. So again, there is, a, you know, in, in all production, there's a decision about this is how many meters we want to make per year or what, therefore this is the fiber we use. And if you go down the route of using silk, you have to accept that it's, it's going to break and it's going to weave slower and lots of, but on the flip side, you get the color that you don't get with anything else and you get the quality you don't get. So if you, if you want those advantages, you have to put up with, with, with the, the, the disadvantages. Um, you mentioned earlier on about a jacquard loom that you, you use. Um, yeah. And obviously you've used our um, machines at the mill, Tappet and W looms yeah. that we have. Um, and we want to talk about ribbons because you make lovely ribbons as well, don't you? So um, how does it differ uh, making ribbons on your loom and weaving on our loom? I suppose the first thing is that it is a dedicated narrow fabric loom. It's a dedicated ribbon loom. So it's a ribbon with a woven selvage both sides. From memory, you're weaving on a broadcloth with gaps in it, effectively, in, in, in simple terms. So you weave many ribbons at the same time, which are then cut into ribbons once they come off the loom. And, and, and you have different ways of finishing the edges to make sure it doesn't unravel. Um, so a narrow fabric loom, although my loom weaves four ribbons at the same time, each of those is, is independent in terms of structure. They're all doing the same pattern, um, but they are separate from each other and um, say they have their own selvages. Um, so once they're off the loom, cut off the loom, effectively they can go straight out the door. There's usually a bit more to do, but there's there's no finishing to be done because the loom, the, the ribbon is already finished in its own right. Um, so that, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the basic difference between a, a woven edge ribbon and a cut edge ribbon. And again, I'm sure if, if you were weaving synthetics, then you would be hot cutting your ribbons so you'll be melting them between the, the, the ribbons. And again, that takes care of another issue. And, and it 
a lot of clothing labels are done that way where effectively what you see is a melted edge which is slightly hard um rather than a woven edge which which you know is a woven edge um other major difference being that uh yes a jacquard loom gives you far more control um over and and design capability over what you can actually do um rather than so your dobbies will be having metal are they metal pegs are they are they um you've got chains of of stats with pegs in um so that you know that there, there are two steps of difference really one is that that you have a, a mechanical stored program effectively you're you're setting up your chain with where the pegs are or whatever put it back on with an electronic loom and this would be the same for a, an electronic dobby actually you can do that via a bit of programming um so yes there's 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 two elements of versatility there i guess it's incredible kind of learning and seeing of different kinds of machines as well isn't it you know I, I think i'm not a weaver myself unfortunately but i think some of the um you know when when i in basic layman's terms you know kind of seeing all these amazing machines and seeing how they all work is is incredible really and they all do so many different jobs and and watching them all in motion is it's pretty cool i mean i think i think it would surprise well i am constantly surprised by how specialist weaving has become to the extent that most um, factories say would have looms that were developed to do a very specific thing um even in ribbon terms whether you know whether that's an elasticated ribbon or uh a tubular ribbon or what they they all are are adapted to do very specific things i've tried to keep as general as possible um and, and I, i'm sure you find the same if, if a customer comes to you and says can you weave this well it's nothing we've woven before but i think we would be capable of weaving it on our looms so if you leave it with us we can probably come back to you and that i think is, is, is to an extent what weavers do it's problem solving it's we want a fabric or a ribbon that does this particular thing how do we create that given the equipment we've got on the flip side of that, you have uh, industry, which has, has has gone down to doing, you know, weaving heart sutures, weaving fire engine um, hoses. You know, they couldn't be more different, but they are actually both bits of weaving that are done on a particular loom in a particular way to create a particular product. Um, and it, it, it can get as specialist as you want it to, really. But then obviously you need enough of a market to to uh, support that. Yeah. I think the versatility of weaving, isn't it? It's incredible what you can yes. what you can do. Yeah. Um, and like us as well, you produce ribbons for uh, TV and, and film. Um, yes. It must be lovely to sort of spot them uh, on on TV. Is there any particular piece that you're most proud of? I suppose there are two answers to that. Really, the the one that I remember is um, a BBC production of Little Dorrit back in 2008, um, which was uh, Claire Foy um, and various reasons it, I think it was her first major role and obviously she's gone on to bigger and better things it was a really nice coherent production and it was in the days before social media or social media wasn't what so you didn't see film stills everywhere so to actually see something on screen that you hadn't seen previewed for three months beforehand was kind of oh did, did I make that um it was actually the design was the first specific costume ribbon I'd ever done and although it didn't pop up for another few years, that, yeah, made it rather special. The one that people 
in now we're into social media years tend to associate with what I do is the Poldark stuff because by the time Ross Poldark came on the scene he in season one he was wearing braces that I'd made the ribbon for they weren't made as braces so it had a kind of circularity to it. it I was making silk for braces this was a silk I made a costume trim and whoever it was in the costume department put the two together and made that into braces and it, I think for me that reinforces the fact that textiles are living things that you you weave them at the mill then they go out into the world and then whoever's using them turns them into something else and they continue to evolve into whatever they become and they have a life of their own so yeah two different things for different reasons there yeah that's fascinating we, we have the same sort of conversations as well you know when it leaves our mill it's on a roll um and yeah. we don't or sometimes we do and sometimes we don't know where it's going um and often yeah we'll turn up in a film that's been made into like a beautiful dress and you sort of think wow that's that's what it was meant for sort of thing it's not just a bit of flat square fabric it's actually got a bit of life to it so it's lovely to see it it reinforces the fact that we're all part of a, a continuum in a, in, in a way and that we all depend on the process that goes before us and then we pass that on to the, the dressmakers or the costume department or whatever it is, or the home sewers. And then it becomes something else again. And then they wear it and then they pass. You know, it, it, weaving has always been. And, you know, just coming back to um, Jacquard and uh, was it Ada Lovelace Day yesterday, day before? So one of the early pioneers of computing who'd been inspired by Jacquard looms, computerization and weaving have always been two sides of the same coin. Um, that Jacquard weaving started with stored programs. So the, the punch cards that you used were a way of, of, of storing the, the, the weaving that you wanted to do. You feed it into the loom and that is a stored program, which then inspired what would become the computers that we know today fantastic yes we, we talk about um one of our looms as well i think it's the, the dobby loon and the dobby chain isn't it it's a early yes. form of computer coding it's and it yeah yeah especially when we talk to children as well they find that absolutely incredible that the stuff that they use today the laptops and ipads actually come from something <laughs> quite you know quite like that really which is amazing yeah. isn't it sort of make it relevant to, to today is, is really interesting um Sorry, I've got. I'm thinking about Aidan Turner now. Embraces. I think that's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> exactly my point. That that's the one that people say. I mean, interestingly, so Elizabeth Poldark had put a ribbon on her hat. Um, I think a couple of other characters did later on, but that's the one that people remember. You know, and that is that is the way social media is now, isn't it? It's it's the power of of, of images. Yeah, especially those ones that first came out as well, isn't it? It's quite exciting, and now it's so famous. Everybody knows pulled up now, don't they? So, yeah, it must be quite lovely for you to know that you've been a part of that, and played a little part in in, in making that something. So, um, and the costumes look fantastic, don't they? So, well, yeah. it's also a reminder just how many people are involved. You know, we see something on screen that literally everything that's there has had to come from somewhere and be brought in and brought together and and so on so when someone stands up at the academy awards and have a list of 200 people that they want to thank you know that's not even half of them is it yeah it's, that's right yeah. <laughs> it would yeah. go on for years wouldn't it <laughs> yeah yeah oh that's lovely thank you so much for joining us i've really really enjoyed that that chat and it's lovely for you to to, to be back with us um considering you you know you worked with us before and a few years ago so that was, was really lovely so thank you very much for joining us that's okay so from ribbon production to millinery our next guest is joe willis and joe is joining us from her workshop at home in bath um, and joe makes hats for stage and tv which is a really really exciting job so it'd be uh, really lovely to hear more about that joe in a minute um so joe how did you uh, get into millinery 
um, I was introduced to millinery um, at the London College of Fashion, um, where I was studying uh, theatre costume, uh, how, how to be to, to be a costumier, and and um, one term on the course was spent um, making uh, period hats um, with an amazing milliner called Lil Scott, who worked on all the Merchant Ivory films and many other films um, out of Africa and um, the French Lieutenant's Woman. And I, I loved her work. I'd loved all those films. So I was inspired by her. And um, I think that's where my, my love of millinery started with her lessons. Amazing. It must be so um, incredible to kind of see your see work on, on TV and, and all these famous actors and actresses that are uh, wearing all this stuff. It must be really quite special and thrilling to, to see that. Um, so how does a typical commission for a TV costume work? Um, usually uh, the costume designer will contact me and say that they're starting a new um, production and um, am I free? And um, fingers crossed, I'm usually free. And I will get a bit of time to do some research. Well, sometimes, not always, but if it's a big production, um, it'll be a few weeks before they start needing um, hats made. And I might get um, some time, ideally, to, to do some research. Um, and just look at lots and lots of um, images of the hats from the period that they are wanting me to, to make, um, just to um, sort of, well, I suppose, just get used to the, the styles and the subtleties. Often there, there's so much subtlety in, in one um, period that uh, it's, it's really important to look uh, lots of images if that if it's um, pre-photography then um, paintings portraits and I, I just do a lot of looking before anything else uh, and then then the then the designs from the costume designer start coming in and I'll play around at home with bits of cardboard and make shapes until I, I'm satisfied and then I'll start with the material. Amazing that sounds such like a really creative process isn't it especially with the uh, the research as well I quite like the sound of that looking into yeah. all the yeah. paintings and portraits and things I imagine that must be really interesting going back in time in some ways. Um, so you've used a lot of our uh, silk from the mill in the past in to trim uh, some of your bonnets. Um, what is it about the fabric that we produce that sort of appeals to you? Oh, well, um, the thing about your silk that I, I've noticed um, throughout the years that I've been using it is the, there's a strength of colour, but also a subtlety of colour. And often um, it's, it, it might be shot, you know, different colours blended together, which is really beautiful. Um, it has a, because it's silk, it's got a fabulous sort of sheen to it that often um, will pick up other trimmings. It'll, it'll um, pick up the, uh, the colours from 
other trimmings so that so that when it's on a hat it it sort of blends beautifully with flowers and feathers it just picks up um the the colors that are around it but it also has um just a uniqueness of its own it has a wonderful sort of weight to it so that when i'm trimming a bonnet with it um i don't need to use tons of stitches to to keep it in place it, it just will stay in place on its own and i i, I do have to use a, a bit of stitchery otherwise um on set it might you know the the ribbon might move and things and and i can't uh, you know, for continuity, I need to 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 make sure that um, the trimmings stay where I've put them. But um, I I can just put it on. Uh, I can make a bow with it, and it just holds the the shape really beautifully. Um, and then on the edge as well, there's a lovely fine um, little like a little tiny fringe. And that just um, you, you can I can I can make that bigger if I want to, so that it it becomes a bigger fringe, um, and um, that can add something to the trimming as well. So um, there's a versatility to to the ribbons that you produce that that I love. Oh, that's lovely. It's so nice to hear kind of what happens to the ribbons as well. You know, we sort of produce them and, and they leave on, yeah. a, on a roll from us. But, um, you know, when, when we finished weaving them, but um, it's actually lovely to, to kind of hear what you do with them and, and, and where they end up as well. It's, it's quite special to know, especially for the weavers, that they've, um, that they've made that and it turns up somewhere and they think, oh, <laughs> so, yeah, lovely. Um, do you have a particular favourite a piece that you have made and you can name drop as well so if you've got a famous famous piece that has um, appeared well there's um that there is a famous piece um that and I didn't realize that how we connected until I was until I visited the silk mill a few years ago um and I happened to be reading the the book the story of the Whitchurch silk mill um, when I got home and I noticed that um, it mentioned the ribbon for the Titanic hat. Um, and that was the hat that I made. I made the Titanic hat, but I didn't realize where the, oh, the, it's the boarding hat that Kate Winslet um, wears. The, the big purple, the big purple hat. And I made that when I was at Cosprop, um, but I didn't, I didn't have any trimming for it. I didn't have the ribbon for it. That was actually put on um, when it got to Hollywood um, by, by somebody else. But I didn't realize until years, years later that you had actually made the ribbon. So um, that was a really nice connection to, to find that not only had I been using your, your ribbons and fabrics um, all these years, but that actually we were sort of connected with this um, sort of moment in in film history in a way. So that was really nice. Oh, lovely! Yeah, and it is such an iconic moment that bit, isn't it? When she lifts her head up out of the 
the car isn't yes. it and it's a yeah, beautiful it is. It is. yeah stunning beautiful hat and stunning ribbon isn't it and um it yeah is. it's lovely yeah. beautiful <laughs> um so what happens uh, to the hats after they've been used in in production do you get those back or no no they don't come back to me I, n- I never get them back because they they belong to the production um so either it uh, it, it sort of depends, but they might go back into uh, the store at Cosprop if they they were hats that were made f- for a production that Cosprop was responsible for. Um, they would go back into the, their, their costume store or they might go out on exhibition like the Titanic hat has gone around the world, I think, um, and it's. Uh, often the, these hats will, if it's a particular um, film that's um, Oscar nominated or, or um, you know, uh, become famous or connected to a National Trust property, then they, they might go out on exhibition. But um, I, th- I, I think either that or they just go into a store and then they might get used again on a different production with different trimmings. So often I've seen my hats appear um, in different um, settings, you know, and I, I spot that I made that for one production and it's turned up in another production, but um, slightly altered. So they sometimes get recycled. They do get recycled. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's brilliant. And it's a bit of a cheeky question, but do you um, ever get to sort of meet with the actors or actresses that are wearing your hats or? Um, very rarely. Very rarely. I once um, I, I got to go to the um, studios at Leavesden um, to visit the Harry Potter set because um, I made lo- lots of hats for Harry Potter. And I that, that was really exciting. And, and that's when they were filming, um, I think, the Chamber of Secrets. And then and then they were filming at Laycock Abbey as well, which was very close to Bath. So I went to actually pick up some materials that I, I was going to make some more hats. So I just went and collected some um, materials from the designer while they were filming there. And when they were filming The Duchess at the assembly rooms in Bath, I went to watch the filming there. So that was and I, 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 I didn't get to meet um, uh, Kira Knightley, but. I was very close to her. She was wearing some trimmings that I'd made for her wig. So that was that was very nice. Um, so sometimes I do meet them. When I was working at Cosprop, then I met the actors and actresses all the time because um, I'd go to fittings. But now that I'm freelance, I, I just uh, send hats off and they get put on their heads and... I don't get to meet them. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and imagine sort of being in Bath as well. Is that quite an in- inspiring place to, to live and, and work um, for the sort of work yes. that you're doing? Mm. Yeah, it, it's it's a really beautiful place to, to live and work. It's very, um, yeah, I'm very lucky. I, go, I can um, pop into the fashion museum which is which is nice. I can just pop in and look at some one one thing that I really want to look at, and then you know um, go and do something else, and then pop in another time. So that's really nice. And um, 
it, it's just nice actually knowing that I can get to London quite quickly as well. That it's it's a good balance. Brilliant, lovely. Thank you so much, Joe. It's been absolutely lovely talking to you, and what an absolutely fantastic job you've got as well. It sounds so interesting. Thank you. No, it's been really lovely to talk to you, and I can't wait to visit the silk mill um, again very soon because I, I I think it's a fascinating place. Oh, lovely. We look forward to having you and showing you around. That'd be fantastic. So thank you so much for listening and don't forget to check out our socials or visit us in person if you can and subscribe to our podcast series. See you next time.